As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, welcome back to Killer Queens. This where every the show where everything's made up and the points don't matter. Oh my God. Okay, so for our first skit. <laughs> oh, no, I'm gonna wish. see who who's gonna cry first. Yeah, exactly. Bing, 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 me. <laughs> All right, so this is Sandy Hook part two. If you have not listened to part one, scooch on back, listen to it. If you were like, whoa, didn't mean to listen to Sandy Hook and I thought this was going to be a different case, you got one more week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, we'll just catch you right on the very next case. Totally. So depending on if you're a patron or not, we either just literally finished talking to you about this case or it's been a week. Mm-hmm. If you're not a patron... So last time we talked about the incident itself and the events or pretty much Adam Lanza's history. And now we're going to get into the planning and the investigation. Again, we've got trigger warnings, mention of child murder. Again, we're not going to go into graphic detail of injuries or anything like that. Gun violence, suicide, and mental health. Does that cover it? I think so. Yeah. All right. So if you are still ready and hanging in there with us, we can proceed. Yes. Adam's planning of the massacre was done in secret and alone, which is pretty much his whole entire life. Mm -hmm. In secret and alone. Yeah. If he had a memoir, it would be called In Secret and Alone. Yes. Despite people reporting leads that suggested a partner. None of that checked out and it was determined that Adam did work alone. The week before December 14th, 2012, Adam was home alone. Nancy had gone out of town to New Hampshire and left Adam at the house. On December 13th, 2012, Adam's GPS recorded a trip from his house into Sandy Hook and then back again. The GPS doesn't indicate that he went directly to the school and back, but he would have been around that area. The trip started at 2.09 p.m. and ended at 2.32 p.m. 
Do you think that was like a, seeing how long it took him to get there? A dry run? I don't know. Because he, he had, other than that, he hasn't left the house in months. Right. That's strange. And the timing, the time of day is kind of interesting too, because mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe he did it at that time, if he was going to do that, that's right around when school lets out. Maybe he's seeing how many kids are coming out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's around when school lets out. Ugh. I know. Nancy returned to the house that night around 10 p.m. The next morning around 8 or 9 a.m., neighbors reported that they heard gunshots, but most just assumed it was like hunters that normally hunted nearby, and they just thought, well, they got a little too close this time. But it wasn't completely unusual to hear gunshots. I mean, if I heard gunshots in my neighborhood, I'd be concerned. If Mm -hmm. I was out at dad's house and I heard gunshots, I'd be like, that's just another Tuesday, you know? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's understandable. A delivery driver came by the house around 9.30 to 10.30 and had to leave a slip because nobody appeared to be home. He didn't hear or see anything out of the ordinary. He said the garage door was shut. He didn't see any cars around, so just figured nobody's home. By 9.30, Adam is blasting his way into Sandy Hook Elementary, and by 9.40 a.m., he and 27 other people would be dead. Mm. Just that... Just immense, immense, immense damage in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Volunteer EMT Lori Vallette works on Fridays, and this day she was called to the school. Volunteer EMT, can you like, bless her heart. She remembered that at first she was tasked to care for a teacher who was injured but was going to survive. And she's like, okay, you know, there was a shooting, but I I think she ended up taking care of the woman who'd been shot in the foot. And had like crawled back into the room and locked the door. So she's like, okay, you know, one victim, wound. No big deal, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, she's going to survive this. Yeah. And then she said the doors of the ambulance flung open and another EMT had the body of a little boy, Ben Wheeler, who was horrifically injured. Ben and another child were the only ones that were rushed to the hospital and unfortunately neither would survive. At the ER, Dr. William Beggs remembers that they were warned that they were getting victims from Sandy Hook, but he didn't tell his staff that it wouldn't be very many coming to them. Most of the victims did not come to the hospital. And in the Newtown documentary, he said that the coroner told him that each tiny body had been hit by three to 11 bullets, and these were assault-style bullets. So what he said was, when they enter the body, they don't go straight through. They go in and they explode. And in the bodies of six and seven-year-olds, this is just not, they can't survive it. <laughs> Sandy Hook Elementary School was a one-story building built in 1954 with 66,000 square feet in the main building. There were also portable classrooms in the back of the schools. As we said, a new security system was installed in 2005, including a call box and buzzer out front with a video camera. However, like in most schools, this video camera doesn't record. I was appalled. Are you not? Yes. I mean, we talked about this when we did the Kyron Horman episode on the mixtape. That school did not have surveillance, like security cameras. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the fuck kind of school doesn't have security cameras? And then someone was like, none of them. Like, Yeah. yeah, that's not a thing. And she was like, it's so sweet that you guys think that schools would have that. And I'm like, why do they not? Yeah, they need to. Yeah, like that, and it doesn't record, like... 
I know. I don't know. I just feel like I'm very scared, mm-hmm. you know, because my kid's about to go to kindergarten. And I just, you know, when we went to school, none of you didn't need any of that shit. Like, right. We didn't have drills like that. The only drills we had no. were like uh, tornado drills. Yeah, tornado drills. Fire um, drills. Yeah, like, yeah, we didn't need school shooter stuff. And it's just now that that's a thing, I'm just like, so how much is the security system? And then mm-hmm. can I make monthly payment? Like, what can I do to get this installed? Like, wh- exactly. Oh my gosh, it's so scary. Yes. So it's just so the secretary or whoever releases the door locks can see the person who buzzed. The door is also locked automatically at 9.30 a.m. It would take investigators seven days to process the scene with thousands of pictures and videos. All of the classrooms on this main hallway had a restroom and a closet that had connector doors to the next classroom in every pair of classrooms. So like 12 and 10 had a door that connected them. Eight and six had a connector, four and two, so on and so on. Each classroom along the outside of the wall of the school had large windows looking out into the parking lot. There were about nine bullet holes in these windows. They also had all had automatic lighting that turns on with movement. In the wake of the shooting, police set up two command centers where parents and families could go. Their survivors could be taken to these locations to meet up with their family members. Eventually, only the family members who would be planning funerals remained. I feel like, and I'm not, I don't know. I I don't know what I would do in this situation, I guess. I'm not saying that I would be an expert planner or anything like that, but what was it? The governor or somebody that was there and like the families of the children who had died are still Mm. standing there. And they're like, we want to be with our kids. Like, why are we still waiting here? We want to go be with our kids. And finally he's like, okay, well, there's no other buses coming. And they're like, what does that mean? Right. Can we go to the hospital? And they're like, there's no other, there's no, there are no other children being taken to the hospital. And they're like, are they all dead? And he said, yes. And it's like, (laughs) could we have done that in a better way? Like instead of them waiting six hours or, I mean, I don't know how long specifically it was, but. But even the way that the news was delivered, couldn't you say in a more, gentle, sensitive way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Instead of being like, well, I don't see anybody else coming over here. Exactly. What do you think that means? And I, I know that that's not how they put still. It. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. What a horrific, just there. I mean, there's yeah. no good way to find out that's worse than it could have been. Yeah, absolutely. Once the living and injured were evacuated from the bullet ridden elementary school, it was time to remove the bodies of the six and seven year olds and their teachers. The Connecticut State Police set up a makeshift morgue in the parking lot of the school and carefully extricated each tiny body and the bodies of their dedicated teachers. They were each taken to the tent so they could be identified before being transferred to the medical examiner's office. Their bodies were autopsied on December 15th, and it was confirmed that all 20 children and six adults from the school had the same cause and manner of death, homicide by gunshot wound. And that's literally as detailed as it's going to get. Yes. Yeah. Adam Lanz's body wasn't removed from the school until the 15th, and he was also autopsied. The 20-year-old only weighed 112 pounds and stood at six feet tall. His cause and manner of death were suicide by gunshot. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. How did he survive? I mean, being that's literally, I, I would feel like negative body fat. Yeah. Like I, um, they mentioned in True Crime Garage, do we think there's some anorexia going on mm-hmm. here? I don't, he was so small. And if you see like those pictures that you see of him, also, you know which pictures I'm talking about, the ones with the blue background where he's making this face. I mean, I don't yes, know why anybody yes. would ever take a photo like that. It seems like he's totally out of it when he's taking these pictures. I don't, I'm not sure mm-hmm. what it is. I don't know if it's like his driver's license photo. Sloan said maybe his, uh, his school ID photo because he, you know, he went to that Western mm-hmm. Connecticut, uh, whatever, for a little bit. I don't know what it is. It's a blue background and there's more than one. So maybe yes. the school ID makes more sense because it's, you know, if he went multiple years. It seems years like the same whatever. background, but yeah. Yeah, but his eyes, something. Yeah, there is. I mean, and he's so small. He looks malnourished. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't think that is any fault of Nancy's. He probably just w- wouldn't eat, or I don't know. But I mean, surely she had food in the house. I can't imagine. But again, not not trying to just make fun of somebody because of the way that they look. But so, I mean, he looks scary. Mm-hmm. He looks like he doesn't have a grip on reality in those pictures. Yes. And he also looks 12 and he's like 20 he, years old. Yeah, he does not look 20 at all. Yeah. Like it just, it, I don't know. There's just, I feel like there's just a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. I also did just, if there's any way to lighten any of this, Sloan and I were like audio messaging back and forth yesterday about this case a little bit. And mm-hmm. I was like, is that Nancy's only like school picture of her son? Like, can you imagine like walking into somebody's house and that being on their refrigerator and be like, or like you sending that out in your family Christmas, you know, newsletter? Like, here's Adam. He started classes at whatever. And everybody's like, oh God. He, like, yeah, he looks frightened. In that yes, photo. it's just, there's, I don't know. There's just something going on. But, mm-hmm. and I feel so, I mean, for so many reasons, feel so bad for those kids, but having to, Hopefully they couldn't see his face very well because he looks scary. I know. It's like the literal boogeyman. Yes. 
The crime scene techs found 312 live and expended rounds throughout the school. Three cars in the parking lot had been hit by five stray bullets from classroom 10. A warrant was drawn up the same day as the shooting by 5.30 p.m. so that the authorities were able to search the Lanza home. In the master bedroom, 52-year-old Nancy Lanza had been found in her bed, shot four times in the head, like we already said. Nearby was her murder weapon. A Savage Mark II was a spent 22 caliber shell in the chamber and three expended rounds on the floor with three live rounds in the chamber. I also heard that there was evidence that the barrel was touching her head when she was shot. It's just so personal. Yeah, and so cold. Yes. That's your mother. And like she was in her pajamas when they found her, but if he touched her first, she... It's possible she, she woke up and saw and knew her son was killing her. Mm-hmm. Just again for whatever it that 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 does suck. I mean, yeah. as a mother, you know that's just it's awful. <laughs> that's there's no other way to put it, Terrell. And I, I hate that you had to be that harsh, but yeah, it sucks. It stinks, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not neato. No, it's not. It's not the bee's knees. It's just I know I don't want it to be like. We're not putting any, I don't want it to seem like any, anything is displaced from Nancy, but she also did not deserve to die. No. I don't know. It's complicated, you know, because you could say partially, she didn't kill anybody, Mm -mm. but her son never should have had access to those guns. I mean, it's very similar to Nancy and Adam is very similar to Pazuzu and his mom. Mm, mm-hmm. That dynamic where obviously one, the child was in control of everything there. Yes, yeah. And yeah. the mom just kind of did what was told. Uh-huh, yeah. And if you haven't heard it, Pazuzu is, uh, we covered The Devil You Know on Doc Jams. So it's like, mm-hmm. what was it, five episodes, four episodes? I forget, but there's several episodes and yeah, there's a lot. And like, yeah, and even with Adam and Nancy, like Adam didn't allow her to put up Christmas decorations. He didn't allow her to have friends over inside the house. Mm-mm. Like, you're the boss here. I mean, and I understand that he has some difficulties and you're certainly not going to do anything that's going to make your child's life more difficult. You know, if that was something that would completely send him into some kind of a mental health tailspin or something. Sure, I get it. But I don't I don't think that's what that was. He he just he controlled everything. Exactly. It's all about control, I think. Yeah. Also on the second floor was at, was Adam's bedroom and computer room. In his bedroom, the windows were covered with black trash bags that had been taped over the windows. There was a hard drive that had been intentionally damaged that they have never been able to recover anything from. There were a bunch of firearms in the house as well as a number of swords, knives, spears, etc. There was a Christmas check discovered from Nancy to Adam for the purchase of a CZ-83 firearm. There was also... Yeah. I never heard of half of this stuff. (laughs) There was also a huge gun safe with huge bullets stored on the side. And Sloan said that it was the size of one of those small European refrigerators, which is massive. In Adam's room, they found an article from the New York Times from February 18, 2008 about the shooting that had occurred at Northern Illinois University, as well as three pictures of what looked like a dead body covered in blood and wrapped in plastic. 
He also had the book Amish Grace, How Forgiveness Transcended Tragedy about the October 2006 shooting at an Amish school that killed five. And copies of newspaper articles from 1891 about a shooting of children. On his computer, they recovered two videos of suicide by gunshot, movies about mass shootings, and a computer game called School Shooting that was a first-person perspective from the shooter's point of view of a school shooting, images of Adam with a rifle to his head, a five-second video dramatization of kids being shot, and an image of Adam in full gear with his guns and ammunition. Why in the fuck is there a game called school shooting? Yeah, that should be, I mean, I don't know. I guess there's like ways to get illegal shit, but Mm. yeah, that should not be a thing. And he, I mean, he played a lot of video games. He played a lot of those violent first-person shooter video games. A lot of the games that he, I can't remember the name of this, the other one that he played a lot, but he would play it all the time and you got, the more people you killed, the more points you got. You had mm-hmm. to, you, the goal was to get as many. To wipe out as many people as you Yeah, could. get as many kills as you could. And often in that video game, people would, once they hit their number or whatever, or whatever the number they were going to hit, you could, you could actually kill yourself in the game and that added to your kill count. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not playing I mean, Animal Crossing. Yeah, does that sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because... Because he ranks all of these, like, you know, with the spreadsheet, he ranks all that by number of kills. Mm-hmm. Just, mm. Oh my gosh. Like so many signs. So many signs. The, the thing is, you know, like we said in the last episode, yeah, your children do have a right to privacy. You also need to know what types of things that they're consuming. And this started before he turned 18. And you know what? Mm-hmm. You're 20 years old, but you live under my roof and I'm going to go through your shit. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the fact that, I mean, I know that as a, uh, as a parent, if your, your, your whole house is your house, right? And as a child, you have your bedroom. She gave him a bedroom and a computer room and he had access to all of the guns in the house. Mm-hmm. But realistically, he had the entire house to himself. He just chose to stay in those two rooms because he controlled everything that came in, yeah. stayed in the house, happened in the house. Right. And I feel like what we've learned, because lately, for whatever reason, we had a run there of doing a ton of kind of like failure to launch kids cases that were full on adults. But when that was taken away from them at a later age, they snapped and killed their families. Yeah. And if you give a kid, if you give a mouse a cookie, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like that's, that is too much. Kids thrive on structure, but they also thrive on boundaries. You can't have everything that you want to. That's life. Right. I don't know. Here I am on my soapbox. And I know that old saying where it's like, I was a much better parent before I had kids. And I live by that. (laughs) Yeah. I stand by it. (laughs) Yeah. It's not that easy, Tori. But (laughs) yes, it is. But okay. So also on his computer, they found screenshots from Adam playing DDR in his house and pictures of hamsters and Lego creep. So well-rounded, I guess. It wasn't all bad. Along with his spreadsheets of mass murders and serial killers, he also had a document for the prerequisites of mass murder and material about pedophiles and advocating for the rights of pedophiles. There wasn't any child pornography, but materials in support of it. In what world in what does somebody world? think that pedophiles have any fucking rights to be a pedophile? Uh, well... Have you heard of the National Man-Boy Love Association? Yes, I believe I have. And I 
Nambla or whatever. Yeah. Yes, I can't. I just... An entire group of people who are fighting for rights to be pedophiles. How is this real life? Right. Exactly. That's not a right. Because if if your right hinges on taking another person's right away, mm -hmm. you don't get that right. Exactly. Well, and I think that very many people have a very confused idea of the difference between a right and a and want. want. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes, yes. And I, I would venture to say that a lot of, there are many, many adults, unfortunately, that do not understand the difference between, and it's everybody that we talk about when, you know, as far as murderers and suspects and all that kind of stuff goes, if they're, if they're guilty, they have no idea what it means to have a need versus a want. They think everything is a need. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Okay. So I don't want to give way too much time to this, but uh, there, there are a lot of people who think that Sandy Hook was a conspiracy, that it was a hoax. I do not understand it. No, I do not understand it. I remember exactly where I was when I heard about Sandy Hook happening. Like, I cannot imagine... I cannot imagine it going through my mind if I saw that on the news. 27 dead, 20 of which are first graders. And me being like, well, that's fucking made up. Can you imagine being one of the victim's parents Mm-mm. and having people tell you or hearing that it, that it, didn't, it wasn't real? Because I watched the Newtown documentary and oh my God, I wasn't two minutes in, I was sobbing. Oh yeah. And some of the parents, they they say things like, I have to, you know, I kept thinking like, maybe it, maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it didn't happen. And it's not because they think it's a conspiracy or a hoax. They think it's because maybe their child is actually still alive for them. Like, right. Yeah. Because, uh, because guess what? Their child existed. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I just, I don't know. It, it's like when something, when something like this happens, immediately the conspiracy theorists come out and they say, well, the government set it up. The children never existed in the first place. Like, that is so cruel. Yeah, it, it's so cruel. And some of these people started prank calling parents of murdered children. Mm-mm. They started calling legislators and it just calling them and saying, I'm going to kill you or calling them names or this is Adam Lanza. I'm going to kill you. Like you should never, ever, ever utter his name Mm -mm. to the parent of a child who he killed. No. And for what? A joke? Right. It just, and then, you know, some people were saying the massacre had been, quote, staged by some sort of new world order, global elitist intent on taking our guns and liberty. That is so tone deaf, it's not even funny. Uh-huh. A professor at Florida Atlantic University, James Tracy, posted online that he mm-hmm. doubted the authenticity of the massacre. And by January of, that would be 2013 by then, there was a 30-minute YouTube video with over 10 million views posted called The Sandy Hook Shooting Fully Exposed. The video dared to ask, quote, wouldn't frantic kids be a difficult target to hit? 
suggesting that if it had been a real event, Adam Lanza couldn't have killed that many kids because they would have been running. Where? Where were they running? They were trapped. And terrified. And terrified. Have you ever seen... If I know if I was terrified, well, that's, you know, I know you paralyzed with fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are you going? Yeah, where These are you going? six and seven-year-olds. Six and seven-year-olds, and they're stuck in this classroom because he's coming in through the, the door out. Mm-hmm. I just cannot believe that people could be so heartless that they would even, even question the validity of, of yeah. a child being murdered. Yeah. And they're like, well, well, if they were that scared, then they would, you know, no, that's not right. Fuck you, man. And and can we, are we forgetting the weapon he was using mm-hmm. and the type of bullets he was using? And we're just going to, what, not going to phase us. Uh, he wouldn't be able well, to hit with that. If you've got a small area and you're shooting, of course, you're going to hit stuff. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, I yeah I I cannot and then and you know I think what a lot of well I don't know I feel like even if the media the news media had taken the time and the energy to be correct and not first which never happens but even if they had I think conspiracy theorists still would have come out you know there still would have been people being like well 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 it but there were many 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 mistakes in reporting when this first happened. First, they actually said that it was Ryan Lanza that was the shooter. And poor Ryan is fucking at work and hears that he's a suspect in a mass shooting. And he's like, the fuck? He's not even in the same state and he's freaking Mm -hmm. out. But Adam had brought Ryan's ID in on him or like an ID with Ryan's name on it or something. So initially, they are not able to identify Adam as Adam. So they see this ID and they're like, well, I think it's Ryan. Then they said that, you know, that there were multiple shooters. At one point, they reported that the shooter's girlfriend and mother were missing from some other state. Like, Adam definitely never had a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, They were just, you know, for ratings, for the sake of being number one, I want to be the first one to get this report out there. I don't give a fuck if it's right. I don't give a fuck what happens, you know, so... The way that Ryan Lanza finds out that his mother and brother are dead is because he's being accused of being the shooter. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't even know any of this is going on. So once you start misreporting shit and misinformation starts being spread because of your irresponsible reporting practices, that just adds fuel to the fire for these people who are like, well, but they said this and that turned out to not be true. Right, 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 right. It just, I don't know. You know, and people, people are just so fucking mean. They're, it seems like some people just view this kind of stuff, like like everything as a game. Or mm-hmm. how can I get, because now we live in this society where it's like, how many likes can I get? How many views right. can I get? Can, how can I be so controversial and obscene because we live in this fucking Perez Hilton and I I hate Perez Hilton, and I'll say it all day long. He has no use in media or entertainment, in yeah. my opinion. But people just want to say shocking things to get attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And without a care in the world, right? And not thinking about 
anybody else. And these people are already grieving immensely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's just so sad. One of the uh, students, Noah Posner, who was killed that day, his dad, Lenny, was at one point checking into a hotel in a different city. And when the clerk saw his address on his driver's license, she goes, oh, Sandy Hook, the government did that. I'm sure she did not know who he was, but still, like, and he said, conspiracy theorists erase the human aspect of history. My child who lived was a real person is basically going to be erased. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't do that. Like, it's so sad. People said that that whoever staged it for whatever reason paid crisis actors. So they were saying the victims, their families, anybody related, the, the first responders, everybody, these were crisis actors. And, and then that the children who were never, either never existed in the first place or if, you know, whoever played them, then they went into witness protection after that. That's a ridiculous stretch. Saying it out loud sounds absolutely asinine, mm-hmm. but there's people that believe it. I don't yeah, understand exactly. it. And just in January of this year, 2021, a congresswoman from Georgia also suggested that Sandy Hook was a hoax. Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene liked a comment on Twitter about the hoax and commented, that is all true. Nelba Marquez Green, the mother of six-year-old Anna Marquez Green, who was murdered that day in Sandy Hook Elementary School, responded to the congresswoman's actions saying, quote, it's incredibly hurtful. It's incredibly difficult to heal from what has already been to our family. These things don't help. So I encourage people to stand up when they see this to speak up and say something. It's not okay. Denying the Holocaust is not okay. To deny 9-11 is not okay. To deny Sandy Hook is just another incredible example of how misinformation is one of the greatest threats to the democratic process and just an irresponsible use of that position. A hundred percent agree. Yes. Marjorie Taylor Greene was suspended from Twitter for spreading misinformation for a grand total of 12 hours. Her comments were removed and people are now calling for her resignation. I, I 
think that misinformation should be taken off of Twitter. I understand and Facebook, I understand that it would be very, very difficult to police all of the information that gets shared on that. But how many times, I mean, even people that you know, how many times do people come up and be like, well, this and this and this happened. And it's like, where the fuck did you hear that? And there's so many people who don't know how to use sites like Snopes, you know, or whatever. And they, mm-hmm. some of them just don't even realize that it's like a, a parody yeah. kind of news thing that's being what shared. The Onion. Yeah. yeah. But a lot of people will share stuff as if it is fact because they heard it on fucking Facebook or Twitter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. we got to do better, people. Like, you got to research one Google search will give you the information that you need. Is this real or is this not real? Like we live in the age of information and it's the, there's so much misinformation being spread. Well, yeah, it's not what Al Gore invented the internet for. Absolutely not. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. Poe Murray of the Newtown Action Alliance responded as well saying, we know firsthand that the Sandy Hook shooting was not a hoax. Conspiracy theories regarding the Sandy Hook tragedy re-victimizes the families who are directly impacted by the shooting and our community. Conspiracy theorists are not mentally fit to serve as members of Congress. We call on Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene to immediately resign and seek mental health services. And I mean, yeah, if you've got somebody in, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't want to get political, but if you've got somebody in office that is saying something like that, I mean, because of this shooting, we have parents lobbying for gun control laws to be passed. You know, like you at least need to have a grip on reality, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's, I would think so. I yeah. mean, that's a conflict yeah. for being able to hold office, I would say. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are going to, and by we, I mean Tori. Oh God. Are going to, I mean, I'll 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 do what I can. We're gonna give the names of each victim and a little bit about them. We don't want this all to be about Adam. We think it's very, very important to, like we said, talk about the signs. I would like to know, I mean, if any listeners out there know of anything, any organizations or any resources or anything for parents who feel like they they have a child who might be exhibiting some some concerning signs. You know, if there's anything out there for parents to help them, I'd mm-hmm. love to post that. I'd love to share that, you know, so that, you know, because what can what can we do about this? What can we do and look forward and prevent this from happening again? Oh, absolutely. Because we always talk about like murders and things like this, tragedies like this. They don't just touch who we talk about. I mean, we've got the father, Peter. We've got the brother, Ryan. Like there, you know, there are a lot of people that are victims in this. And so if we could just figure out a way to stop it before it happens. Yeah. And and if we can equip parents to know what signs to look for, you know, Mm -hmm. because parenting is one of those things that you don't get a manual for. And I did. Oh, could I borrow it? No. Too late now, I guess. But, (laughs) you know, and there's no prerequisites to having a child. It's literally like one of the only things in life that, like, anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. Not well, but anybody can do it. You, most people have the ability to do that. And 
you go into the hospital, you have your baby, and the people at the hospital go, best wishes to you. You got a car seat, right? Don't shake it. All right, bye. Like, that's it. That's pretty much all you get. There's nothing, you know, you've got your pediatrician that you can ask questions and stuff like that, but it's kind of one of those, you don't know what you don't know, you know, Mm -hmm. are, is this a normal behavior? It is not a normal behavior. Like, I don't know. So if there's something that we can give to parents, maybe, maybe schools get, I don't know who, I don't know who would divvy it out. I don't know what would happen, but just a resource for parents to be like, here are signs that you need to look for behavioral issues that you may want to seek help for your child. Mm -hmm. And you've got to stay on it. You can't just stick your head in the sand and hope they're going to grow out of it. You've got to stay on it because you could be saving lives. And, And I understand that it would be very hard to look at your child and say, there's something wrong. Yeah. But what's the alternative? Right. Because what you've said before, the point of being a parent is to become redundant. You want to, you want to create a person and shape, help shape a person to be productive in society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pray for me, guys. Um, in what is known as one of the top five deadliest mass shootings in American history, 20 first graders and six educators were killed in less than 10 minutes. 26 and seven-year-olds who were at their school in the heart of suburbia who should have been safe were murdered in their classroom for no apparent reason. Six educators who were at the jobs they loved who spent their final moments trying to protect the children in their care. The first one we'll talk about is Charlotte Bacon. She was six. Charlotte was described as smart, funny, curious, messy, unintimidated, sweet, outgoing, adventurous, and most prominently bold. She was full of energy with what her grandmother called a mass of beautiful red curls, and she loved school and dresses. After her death, her parents established a foundation in her honor that supports a program for therapy dogs, scholarships for students who are studying to become veterinarians, and a grant to help couples grieving the death of a child. Her parents also worked with an illustrator and wrote a children's book called Good Dogs, Great Listeners. And it's about... (laughs) I didn't even get through one sentence. Anyway, it's about Charlotte and her dog, Lily. But you can actually buy it on Amazon. So I was going to order it, but I was going to link it in the show notes just if you wanted to get it. They're doing a lot of work. They're putting stuff to good causes. So... You know, there's little ways that we as true crime, you know, quote unquote fans or whatever can help. So if we can donate to these organizations, if we can, you know, support in any way, you know, there's those little things that we can do. So if you scroll down in your episode description or hit the episode webpage, you'll you'll see the link. <laughs> Daniel Barden, he was seven. Daniel reportedly used to sit next to a girl in his class with special needs because he wanted to make sure she was okay. If she lost her glasses, he was there to help her find them. Daniel always wanted to make sure that everybody around him was happy and safe. While he was called unusually compassionate, he was also known for being just like any other boy with ripped jeans and missing his two front teeth. He liked to surf when the family would go to the beach and make s'mores when they were around a campfire. Daniel and his brother James and sister Natalie formed a band together with Daniel on the drums. His brother said he was just so good and that he embodied everything that is wholesome and innocent in the world. His parents are among the ones involved in the lawsuit that was brought against the gun manufacturer. 
They allege that the manufacturer was irresponsible for selling AR-15 style guns to civilians. And his dad, Mark, is one of the parents to create the nonprofit organization called Sandy Hook Promise that focuses on mental health reform, specific gun laws, and violence prevention. Part of this program involves teaching students and adults to know the signs for a person who's at risk of violence. So we will link to that as well. Olivia Engel, six. Olivia Rose Engel had a favorite stuffed animal, lamb. Her favorite colors were pink and purple. She took dance lessons and played tennis, loved to swim and play soccer. Olivia was a Girl Scout who loved musical theater, singing, and making art projects. Every night, she led her family in grace at dinner and was a very proud big sister. Her family said that she was insightful. She laughed a lot and she had a great sense of humor. She lit up a room and was grateful, never greedy. Her family raised money for Newtown Park and Bark, a local dog park. Seems like so many of these families are, and you see this with a lot of cases that we've covered, you know? It's like families turn into activists and they were never planning to do that. But, mm-hmm. and certainly not saying that a family who doesn't t- turn activist or lobbyist aren't doing anything. You don't have to do that, but it's just they're they're it's going out special. and they're yeah they're making some changes that's i just can't imagine how hard that would be exactly josephine gay she was 7 josephine had only just turned 7 days before she was shot in her classroom she preferred to be called joey and was called the girliest of her sisters joey loved purple and riding her bike in the summers she would sell lemonade in her neighborhood joey was affectionate and a hard worker Her parents said that she had to work harder to meet milestones that came so easily for her older sisters. She had been diagnosed with autism as well as global apraxia of speech. Apraxia makes it difficult to impossible for a person to move their mouth and tongue correctly. They typically have difficult making their mouth say the things that they are thinking. I thought this was so sweet that because of her apraxia, she had difficulty communicating verbally. So her class... Hmm. Her classmates <laughs> learned sign language so that she could be included. These are just God, just angels, mm-hmm. just babies. But her family started Joey's Fund that supports families in New England who have family members with autism and need additional resources. Anna Marquez Green, she was six. Anna Grace Marquez Green was from a musical family with a prominent jazz musician, Jimmy Green, as her father. She was called a budding musician who had a gift for melody, pitch, and rhythm. Her family also said that Anna never walked anywhere. Her mode of transportation was dance. She danced from room to room and place to place. After her death, Anna's dad created a tribute album called Beautiful Life. They also created the Anna Grace Project, and it supports arts education and works with schools to implement the Love Wins curriculum. And the goal is to improve the social and emotional skills of students and staff at schools. Dylan Hockley, six. Dylan Hockley was born in England and had moved to Connecticut only two years before the shooting. His parents said, we specifically chose Sandy Hook for the community and the elementary school. We do not and shall not regret this choice. They feel that despite the trauma they have endured, their children thrive there. 
Even though Dylan was taken from them, they still feel very strongly about Sandy Hook and Newtown. Dylan adored chocolate and his big brother, Jake. Jake was Dylan's best friend and role model. Dylan loved to cuddle, jump on the trampoline, and play tag with his friends at the bus stop every morning. Nicole Hockley, Dylan's mother, was another one of the founders and managing directors of Sandy Hook Promise, so with uh, Mark Barden. Mm-hmm. And they've basically, like they said, they're like brother and sister now. And they run that together. And they, these parents are also part of the lawsuit against the manufacturer of the guns that killed mm-hmm. their child. Madeline Sue, she was six. Madeline was called a petite princess with a very big personality. She liked to swim in, in the pool and at the beach and ride her bike without training wheels as soon as she possibly could. She was sweet and unique, bright and determined, and loved running, dancing, and reading. Her family thought of her as a born leader. Catherine Hubbard, six. Her middle name was Violet, but her hair was bright red. The freckle-faced first grader was obsessed with animals. She loved them so much that she created her own business cards for Catherine's Animal Shelter, for which she was the caretaker. She would whisper to animals to tell your friends that I'm kind. Hmm. After her death, Catherine's parents bought 34 acres of farmland in Connecticut where they could build an animal sanctuary in her honor. When I saw her picture, I thought of uh, her hair is kissed by fire. Isn't that what they say in Game of Thrones? Oh. Chase Kowalski, seven. Chase was just seven years old, but he was already an accomplished athlete. He started running competitively when he was just two years old. And at six... Chase asked his parents if he could enter a triathlon for kids, which he completed and won his age group. He loved, I know, he loved baseball and those kids' workshops at Home Depot. Chase was also a Cub Scout. His 13-year-old neighbor remembers asking Chase what he wanted for Christmas that year and him telling him that he wanted his two front teeth back. (laughs) Bless him. After the shooting, Chase's parents started the is it CMAC or CMAK Foundation that supports programs for the physical and emotional well-being of children and their families. One program they created was uh, for this was Race for Chase, a kid's triathlon. Jesse Lewis, six. Jesse used his final minutes attempting to save as many of his friends as he could. He yelled for his classmates to run, encouraging them to flee for safety. He died helping his peers. Jesse was just one of those kids that everyone knew. He was happy and loved math and playing at his mom's farm where he would also ride horses. He had been so excited for the gingerbread houses they were going to make at school. And his dad planned to come help that day. I think that was the dad that... Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, got arrested or almost got arrested. Mm-hmm. The Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement was created in his memory to support social and emotional learning programs for teachers and students. His mom has spoken out about the importance of this in children's lives and the importance of forgiveness. James Radley Mattioli was called Jay by his family, who described him as all boy. He loved wrestling with his dad and jumping off of things. (laughs) It's so hard. I know. He had. Boundless energy and would often tell his mom, I need to go outside, mom. I need fresh air. He loved jumping off the diving board into his grandfather's pool. Often seen in t-shirts and shorts, no matter the weather, James was quick to correct you that he was actually six and three quarters. 
He sang at the top of his lungs and once asked his parents, how old do I have to be to sing on a stage? His family also joked that James had been born four weeks early because he was because he was hungry because he had a voracious appetite. James adored his older sisters and saw them as role models. He wanted to do everything they could do, and he was excited to be able to ride his bike without his training wheels. Ugh, Ugh bless him. All of them. Yes. Grace McDonald, seven. Grace McDonald had been taking art classes since she was three years old and saw the beauty in everything. She wanted to be a painter when she grew up and was passionate about art. She had just turned seven in November and had asked for and had gotten a purple cake with a turquoise peace sign and polka dots. Her family said she was all about peace, gentleness, and kindness. Her mom said that she was the light and love of our family. She mentioned that Grace didn't have an ounce of hate in her and that they were going to spend their lives living through Grace's example. The Grace McDonald Memorial Fund was created to support young artists and young and youth art programs. Emily Parker, six. Emily Parker loved arts and crafts and her family said that there were always beads and bits of paper and colored cotton balls all over the house from a project she was working on. The craft store was one of her favorite places and she carried markers and pencils around with her everywhere. She was the oldest sibling and always willing to try something new unless that was in reference to food. She lit up a room and had infectious laughter. Emily's mom, Alyssa Parker, wrote a book called An Unseen Angel about a faith-filled spiritual path to coping, healing, and forgiveness in the wake of tragedy. And she was also part of the founders for Safe and Sound Schools. And I'll link to that book as well. Jack Pinto, six. Jack Pinto had a huge smile and loved mischief, his big brother in sports. Baseball, basketball, wrestling, he'd won his first match just before he was killed. Snow skiing and the number one sport in his heart, football. His idol was Victor Cruz, who was the receiver of the New York Giants at the time. After the shooting hit the media and the public learned about the victims, Jack's idol found out about him. During a game not long after the tragedy, Victor Cruz wrote, Jack Pinto, my hero, on one cleat and R.I.P., Jack Pinto on the other. He also wrote, Jack Pinto, this one's for you on his gloves. <laughs> Jack's family used his memory to support kids in the game that provides funds for athletic programs <laughs> for kids in schools who could not afford them otherwise. You guys, I don't know. I don't know. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> There's just a yes. lot of sniffling, which is not great for podcast media. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know another way to get through it. Understandable at this point. (laughs) Yeah. I think honestly, we're everybody is crying. Like, yes. We just can't all see each other right now. But we're all crying. I'm not crying, you're crying. (laughs) I'm actually just cutting onions. Exactly. (laughs) Right now. (sighs) Noah Posner six. Noah Posner had a huge heart. He was called so much fun and loved to play imaginative games with his Legos and superhero toys. His aunt said that he was gorgeous and he could get whatever he wanted just by batting his long lashes and looking at you with his big blue eyes. (laughs) He was a little rambunctious and had a lot of spirit. Noah also had a twin sister, Ariel, who survived the school shooting. That morning on December 14th, Noah and his siblings rode to school with their dad and listened to Noah's favorite song, Gangnam Style. (laughs) 
The family didn't have the heart to tell her right away that Noah had died. They couldn't figure out how you tell a child that. Noah was the youngest of the victims. Noah's dad created the Honor Network in order to combat the conspiracy theorist who had the audacity to claim that this was all a hoax. Yeah. I still cannot believe that. I know. <laughs> that that he has to, now in the wake of all this, he has to try to <laughs> combat a whole group of people that are claiming yeah. it never happened. Yeah, like the, what, not that you should have to be fighting for anything right now, but some of these families are involved in a lawsuit against the gun manufacturer and things like that. And he's having to spend his time just to get people to believe that he's lost his son. Yeah. Uh, Ridiculous. It's awful. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Caroline Previtti, six. Caroline loved pink. Some people even wore pink to her funeral. She was joyful and loved art and dance. Caroline even brought her parents her piggy bank one Christmas and asked to donate it to church so that she could make sure every kid would sit under the Christmas tree. The Caroline Previtti Foundation was created by her parents and provides support for kids without the financial resources to take part in extracurricular activities. Jessica Ricos, six. Jessica was one of those little girls that loved horses. Everything about horses. Movies, books, drawing horses, writing about horses, and horseback riding. For Christmas that year, Jessica had asked her parents for cowgirl boots and a cowgirl hat. Her parents had also promised she could have her own horse when she turned 10, but she never reached that milestone. Jessica also loved orca whales. She spent hours watching all the Free Willy movies and even took notes on orcas. She once told her mom, Mom, I just want to be friends with an orca. (laughs) Jessica's parents called her our little CEO because Jessica had an answer for everything and didn't miss a trick. She was constantly planning and figuring out the details of things and asking questions. To honor Jessica's love for horses, her family created the Jessica Ricos Foundation that supports horseback riding scholarships as well as research and internships on orca and whale conservation. Benjamin Wheeler, six. Ben Wheeler was said to be full of urgent questions that he needed the answer to at once. He demanded attention and was described as irrepressibly bright and spirited. His dad would tell the Newtown documentary that Ben was a challenge and that dinner time was difficult because he was all over the place. He said nothing ever moved fast enough. Ben loved the Beatles, the number seven train, to Sunnyside Queens and lighthouses. Ben and his family had moved to Connecticut in 2007. And like his music teacher mom, Ben was musical. He had just recently had his first piano recital. 
This was said to be quite a feat for a boy who never sat still. Ben had told his parents that he wanted to be an architect and a lighthouse keeper when he grew up. And just that morning, Ben had said, I still want to be an architect, but I also want to be a paleontologist because that's what Nate, his big brother, is going to be. And I want to do everything Nate does. (laughs) David and Francine Wheeler marked their son's height in a door jam, but Ben's last mark was in November of 09. Oh, yeah. And in the... In the documentary, his older, it was his older brother, right? Yeah. Yeah. He only has one older brother. Yeah. At some point, marked where Ben should be now. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That was so sad. So sad. Ben's Lighthouse is a community organization in Newtown created by Ben's parents to support the survivors in the long term after the tragedy at Sandy Hook. And David Wheeler, his dad, has spoken to Congress and said, The liberty of any person to keep military-style weapons is second to the right of my son to his life. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's where we get a better definition of a right. Mm -hmm. And I'm in. uh, I mean, I'm just not going to argue with anybody about that. I'm fine with people having guns, but I just. David feels that there were all these dominoes lined up to get to that moment where Adam Lanza burst into Sandy Hook and in between each domino was a space when someone could have stepped in to stop the next domino from falling. And I think he's right. Mm-hmm. Aviel Richmond, six. Aviel Richmond had a spitfire personality and was usually barefoot. She was said to be happiest on a horse and her trainer remembers that when Aviel would get her horse to a trot, she would giggle the whole time they trotted. Aviel had a lot of aspirations and wanted to be an artist, a spy, a fairy princess, and a writer when she grew up. She also loved to name things, including the maple trees next to their house. She called Effort and Maeve. (laughs) How adorable is that? The Aviel Foundation was created to support neuroscience research aimed at understanding the brain's chemistry, structure, and circuits that lead to violence and compassion. The foundation also provides community education and outreach about neuroscience research and its findings and how to promote brain health. Allison Wyatt, six. Allison loved drawing and her house was covered in her pictures. She loved drawing pictures for other people that she loved, including her bus driver. Allison was described as sweet, creative, funny, intelligent, and kind-hearted. Once she offered her snack to a stranger on a plane. After her death, her parents found a picture she had drawn for her teacher, Miss Soto, that said, I love you, love Allie. The Allison Wyatt Memorial Foundation was created to raise and donate money to St. Jude's and the Ronald McDonald House, as well as the International Child Art Foundation. Mm. Those sweet little souls. I know. So let's get to the adults. Don Hawksprung, 47. Miss Hawksprung had become the principal of Sandy Hook Elementary School two years before the massacre. Her students loved her. A parent said that she was really nice and very fun. She was also very much a tough lady in the right sort of sense. Parents never saw her without a smile. Mrs. Hawksprung had gotten her bachelor's and master's in special education in the 1990s and had recently enrolled in a PhD program. She was married with two daughters of her own and three stepdaughters. She always made sure to keep up with her girls while also jumping in and out of meetings at school. Dawn was strong, confident, inspiring, and compassionate and was said to have 
died as she lived, always in control, handling whatever came her way. She actually lunged mm-hmm. at Adam trying to get the gun away from him. Yeah, they said that the way her wounds were, it very much seemed like she, or it was definite that she had lunged at him mm-hmm. when he shot her. I mean, that's that's a hero. I know. Mrs. Hawksprung's daughters, Christina and Erica, adored their mother. Since her mom's death, Erica has spoken out about her mom during the National Democratic Convention in 2016 to support Hillary Clinton and her commitment to gun violence prevention. Erica is also the program manager at Everytown for Gun Safety, which is a major gun violence prevention advocacy group. Mary Sherlock, 56. Mary Sherlock had been the school psychologist at Sandy Hook Elementary since 1994 and was passionate about her career. Mrs. Sherlock had gotten her master's degree in psychology from Southern Connecticut State University and previously worked at a group home as a rehabilitation assistant and as a community mental health placement specialist. Here, she worked with adults with disabilities, but then after moving to schools, Ms. Sherlock became a member of Committees for Safe School Climate, Conflict Resolution, Crisis Intervention, and Student Instruction. Mrs. Sherlock had been married to her husband, Bill, for over 30 years, and they had two daughters. Mrs. Sherlock loved gardening and reading, as well as going to the theater. Her passion was in her career and wrote on her website, I am ready to assist in problem solving, intervention, and prevention. After his wife was shot, Bill became part of the Sandy Hook Promise Group and has spoken out about the importance of the lawsuit that was brought against the AR-15 manufacturer. And if her last name is Sherlock, I'm really sorry. Yeah. Victoria Vicky Soto, 27. Victoria who was called Vicky Soto, was just 27 years old and had wanted to be a teacher ever since she was three years old. She had achieved this goal and was living her best life as a first grade teacher at Sandy Hook Elementary. When the shooter burst into her classroom, she instinctively went into action, remembers her cousin. When a monster came into her classroom, she tried to protect the kids she loved so much. Her mom, Donna, said she would not have hesitated to think to save anyone else before herself and especially the children. She loved them more than life, and she would definitely put herself in front of them any day. A student who survived told his dad that at first it sounded like hammers falling, and Miss Soto began moving the children to safety. The Saturday after she died, Vicky's beloved Black Lab Roxy spent the day walking around the apartment looking for her. Oh my God. The Victoria Soto Memorial was created to support scholarships for future teachers and other educational endeavors so that other people have the opportunity to live out their dreams as Ms. Soto had. Lauren Russo, 30. At 30 years old, Lauren Russo had just been hired as a permanent substitute teacher at Sandy Hook. She was described as sensitive and focused and was working at Sandy Hook that day in place of another teacher who was out on maternity leave. Her family set up two scholarships in her name to support other people striving to become teachers. The Lauren Russo Memorial Scholarships were set up at Danbury High School, where she'd attended high school, and the University of Bridgeport Graduate School of Education, where Ms. Russo had gotten her master's in elementary education. Rachel DeVino, 29. Rachel DeVino didn't know it, but her boyfriend, Tony Curatelli, had recently asked her family for permission to propose and was planning to do so on Christmas Eve. Ms. Davino was a behavior specialist and was passionate about her work with the children and adults with autism. She was working on her doctorate and had just completed the requirements to become a board-certified behavioral analyst. 
In her off time, she was working on a family cookbook by collecting all the family's classic Italian recipes. She also loved karate, photography, cooking, baking, and animals. Her obituary mentioned her tremendous smile. After her death, Miss Davino's family made plans to walk and raise money for Autism Speaks. Anne-Marie Murphy, 52. Anne-Marie Murphy was a married mother of four and the classroom aide in one of the first grade classes, and she adored her students. When the shooter burst into their classroom, she threw her arms around her students and her body between them and the bullets. She and the students were found in this embrace. That tells us a great deal about Mrs. Murphy. She spent her last moments attempting to protect her babies. She was described as a happy soul who was artistic and hardworking, but the best descriptor of Mrs. Murphy was hero. That's how one of the first responders described her to her father. Mm-hmm. Oh, guys, we did we did that. We got through that part. We did. It was messy, but hopefully you understand. <laughs> yeah. I I have cried many times on this show. I think more on the mixtape mm-hmm. somehow, but this one got us both. And I um, never, I don't think I've ever cried. I don't think you have. Tori doesn't cry hardly at all in general. So it made me cry even more when she started crying. It was the whole thing. It was like, and then you guys are crying. We all cried. Everybody cried. Don't blame me for this, okay? (laughs) No, I was already crying, definitely. (laughs) It just is. It's just so sad. It is. And, you know, I... We've talked about this so many times, but you know, it's like the the brightest mm-hmm. and for what, you know? Mm-hmm. Killed for what? And uh, it's just and the that ripple effect. Mm-hmm. We talk about that in almost every case because you've got so many victims in this case and each of those victims has a family Mm -hmm. and just so many people in the wake. And it's so hard because it's like, even if you found out quote unquote, why it wouldn't, it it would never be enough. Right. Because it still doesn't make sense. It's so senseless, but we won't know why because Adam, again, got to control whether or not anybody found any information out, you know? Mm -hmm. He knew exactly what he was leaving behind and he knew exactly what he destroyed and, you know, whatever it was. Like, again, he he wanted to control the narrative as much as he could. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said, some of the families have joined together to file a wrongful death lawsuit against Remington in 2015. So that was nine families that joined into this. Remington made the Bushmaster AR-15 style rifle and sold it. And the suit claims that they never should have sold such a dangerous weapon to just a regular citizen. And that trial is scheduled for the 2021 calendar. The Newtown Action Alliance was created after the event in order to work toward preventing gun violence. In October of 2013, Sandy Hook Elementary was torn down and another school was built on the land. In 2014, the Connecticut Office of the Child Advocate who investigates the death of any child in Connecticut released a report that clearly laid out Adam Lanz's mental health struggles and surmised that it was very likely that there was a missed opportunity to stop this from happening by getting Adam help and treatment and not having easy access to these weapons. 
I mean, I don't want to say duh, but... Yeah, I was... I mean, you're better than me. I was like, no shit. Yeah. The report said, this report cannot and does not answer the question of why Adam Lanza committed murder. Again, no shit. Yeah. The same was said in the state attorney's court report. The FBI declassified 1,500 pages from this investigation that detailed the investigation and court decisions. And if you guys think that Sloan didn't read every readable page of that, (laughs) you're wrong. In those pages, it's pointed out that, quote, the obvious question remains, why did the shooter murder 27 people, including 20 children? Unfortunately, that question may never be answered conclusively despite the collection of extensive background information on the shooter through a multitude of interviews and other sources. The evidence clearly shows that the shooter planned his actions, including the taking of his own life. But there is not clear indication why he did so or why he targeted Sandy Hook Elementary School. The document goes on to say that, quote, it is known that Adam Lanza had significant mental health issues that affected his ability to have a normal life and to interact with others. He was unable and unwilling to help himself deal with these issues. But at the same time, professionals who did see him, any indication that he was violent. The court documents claim that Adam's, quote, mental status was no defense to conduct as evidence shows he knew his conduct to be against the law. He had the ability to control his behavior to obtain the results he wanted, including his own death. He took the further step to put in earplugs so that he wouldn't be bothered by the noise. I mean, he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Adam Lanza had clearly planned his crimes in advance and was under no extreme emotional disturbance for which there was a reasonable explanation or excuse. And obviously, there is no reasonable explanation or excuse. But he took a lot of time to plan that out. Absolutely. And if you're somebody who's going to go through mass shootings and you're even reading a book written by a relative of somebody who was killed in that about the path to forgiveness and redemption, like, and none of that strikes an accord with you. Right. We can't even get three sentences in without breaking down. <sighs> like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, he he knew exactly the wake he was going to leave. Mm-hmm. He's read in detail about people's pain and grief of losing a, a child. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he studied so much up on school shootings in general. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) An article about Adam and his sensory processing disorder said Adam was, quote, not some monster except on one particular day when he was exceedingly monstrous. Adam had not been some psycho out torturing animals and setting fires. He had definite deficits in social skills and significant mental illness. But he knew what he was doing was wrong, and he planned it, and it was very controlled. Mm-hmm. And there's not one, like, huge traumatic event they can look back to, you know, to say, okay, well, this is where things changed. You know, like you and I said, again, they don't have, they don't have this, like, definite, oh, he was bullied, you know. Right. Whatever. But I, I could very much see him being bullied. I could as well. Now, does that give you... That's not reason, of course. It's not. But, I mean, I do think he probably was bullied. But I read that one of the things that they found, like, in his... Either in his room or near his computer or whatever, when they went with that search warrant, was Mm -hmm. specifically his first grade report card Hmm. from 
Sandy Hook Elementary. Sandy Hook. Mm-hmm. I wonder why that would be out among his possessions. I don't... Well, and that is significant because he targeted first and second graders. Yeah, like I'm wondering, you know, there are people who hold on to something that you and that you or I or, you know, any other person would have forgotten about 20 years later, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years later, whatever it is. I mean, I wonder if something happened when he was in first grade and he never fucking let go of it or something. Like, it right. just doesn't make sense, but but the fact that he had that report card out, that seems like that it wasn't just I walked into the school and I started shooting. It was I went down the first grade hallway for a reason. Yeah, it's significant. Yeah. Yeah. Adam's father, Peter Lanza, has spoken out that he carries extreme guilt about what his son did. And he also says he wishes his son had never been born. And he said he told the New Yorker, you can't get any more evil. He also said, how much do I beat up on myself about the fact that he's my son? A lot. He said, not an hour goes by that he doesn't think about the shooting. I want people to be afraid of the fact that this could happen to them. It doesn't have to be understood to be real. I don't know. I, again, I don't know how I feel about that because, yeah, he's he did an absolutely horrible thing, but I don't know. It, it, it would be very hard for me to say, I wish my son had never been born. Well, yeah. And I also think that it's really, it's kind of even into dangerous territory because it's amazing to me how in this situation, it seems like what he's doing is kind of contradicting, it's two contradicting trains of thought about it. He's saying that his son was just born a monster and you can't get any more evil than that. But then he's also like, but it could happen to anybody. Yeah, you're exactly right. That's a very good point. And I also wonder if being able to just let comments loose like that speaks to that dynamic, that family unit dynamic, the, I don't know. I mean, his brother seems normal, but Mm -hmm. normal in the sense that he's not homicidal. I mean, like, is it, you know, like you said, there are some parents who, if, if they do have a child with any type of a disability, they, we talked about it in uh, the Covina, mm, that Christmas Christmas shooting. Bruce Pardo, because of his own irresponsibility and neglect, his son suffered a horrible injury and then had brain damage, mm-hmm. and you know was never going to be able to live a normal life by himself. So what did Bruce say? Basically, he's damaged goods. I don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And he left. There are parents that feel that way. And you have to wonder if Peter knew that there were some of these disabilities that Adam had from a very early age. Mm-hmm. And did he treat him differently because of that? Did he well, not give him as much affection? And well, yeah. And we don't have we don't have a ton of background on their the dynamics of their relationship, but just because you write a check every month doesn't make you a father. Right. And it just kind of seems like he bounced on that. Mm-hmm. And from what I gathered from what he said, and I said it a last episode, it kind of seems like, I don't know, but I got the vibe that he mm-hmm. was like, 
well, he's not the son that I expected, so I don't need him. Yeah, and you know what? Now that I think back more on that, you know, and they're saying there's not one incident that we can look back at that says this is where everything snapped or this is like the trauma that caused the mental break. I think it's his parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. Because before I mean, his parents' divorce was final, he he was riding his bike outside. He, he still was wasn't actual, super social, but he was talking to people. He uh-huh. was participating. He was going outside. You know, by by the point that he committed this act, he had garbage bags duct taped to the window so that no light could come in. Like mm. he wasn't leaving going anywhere. You know, he was only talking to his mom via email. Now. Again, there's a lot of stuff going on, but I think that divorce and then his dad getting remarried and mm-hmm. then his mom saying we're moving. Yeah. All that just snowballed. I his like. psyche could not take that. Mm-mm. And he wasn't getting the help that he needed. Right. And there's a lot of different, I don't know what, I don't know what you can do with somebody who's under 18, but I would think you could have them committed for psychological evaluation if you are finding very, very violent drawings and stories. Well, that would require somebody to go into someone else's bedroom. But, and yeah, and she wasn't allowed, so mm-hmm. forgot. Yeah. Even though he had a a trunk full of AR-15s and AK-47s and yeah, all kinds of shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think there is a divorce can be really really hard on a kid. It mm-hmm. can change them in a lot of ways. And I think all those things happening, I don't know. I just I feel like that probably had a lot more to do with it than they initially thought. Oh, definitely. And he's already in that uh fragile mental state, you know. A ch- a child who's well adjusted will still have typically have trouble when their parents get a divorce, but obviously it's not going to send them into a homicidal rage. Mm -hmm. This is, Mm -hmm. you know. I just feel like what Peter's doing, and I can understand why, but I also think that it's irresponsible and unfair to, he's trying to distance himself so much from it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because he's like, well, you know, he was just evil and he was born that way. Nothing I can do about it. Like, yeah, and take away my responsibility. Well, this could happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. See how easy this could be? It could happen to you. It's not just about me and what I did. Right. Or how I how my family contributed to this. Yeah. Yeah, because who who was equally responsible for and could yeah, have gotten a- Adam help as Nancy? Yeah. Peter. Yeah. He could have done any of that, you know? And yeah, mm-hmm. he he wasn't checking on, checking up in his room or anything either. So yeah. It's I don't know. That's just a, that's shitty. Mm -hmm. 12 family members of eight victims were flown to DC on Air Force One and President Obama spoke out about gun violence. The family members were there to hear the results of a new proposed gun legislation, but they would leave disappointed when the legislation was defeated. Despite losing 26 and seven-year-olds and six teachers who were doing nothing wrong and were simply at school, it was defeated. Ben Wheeler's dad said the first responsibility and first concern should be in making sure that their constituents are safe. The family said that they're not discouraged, though, and they will continue to fight. Oh, and all those conspiracy theorists that are like, yeah, Sandy Hook was just made up by the government to try to take our guns away from us. I'm like, 
the law didn't pass, dude. Yeah. It, so that's now what? <laughs> the goal, it didn't work. Yeah, like where's your proof now? Exactly. It's, it's so ridiculous. The Hockleys actually live almost across the street from where the Lanzas live, but they never knew them before this. That house has since been torn down, but Nicole Hockley has stated that she does not forgive Adam's mom specifically. She said, you know, she gave him access to the weapons. I don't, I don't forgive her for that. Mark Barden said, I don't want closure. How could I ever say I'm over this now? There is no closure. And I can understand that. I mean, I think it was Mark Barden. It was one of the dads that said, uh, we're so scared of forgetting them because every day yes. that goes by is one day further away from my life with Daniel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I cannot imagine. Just no. like, yeah, thinking, what if I forget his laugh? Mm-hmm. You know? The way his hair smelled. The Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so sad. It's so sad. Uh, so, um, so there you have it. Yeah. Tears, tears, tears. So many tears. Thank you so much for listening to this and doing this with us. Um, it, I think we've I think we've reached a new level of friendship because we've all cried together now. Yes, I think so as well. The I feel closer to you guys. Would be getting airbrushed t-shirts together, something like that. Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah we, we definitely need to take our friendship to the next level because we've done the crying thing now. So, yeah. so there's the that. ante here. Yeah. 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 Oh, God. Okay. Well, um, you know, we love you guys. Yes, we do. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. And we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, before we head out, before we're Audi 5000, is it 5000? Yeah. Okay. Before we're Audi 5000, we wanted to do some shout outs for new patrons. Hey, girl, thanks to Essence Jones. Thanks to Christy Rogers. Tiffany Palaconis. Jamie Gerard. David Perdomo. KG. Vanessa Hagler. Lindsay Hansen. Jesse Marie McKee. Brittany. Laurel Rutherford. Brandy McKay. Brittany. Xavier Cubis. Mindy Underwood. Kira Goodwin. Kayla McGee. Elsie Staubert. Uh, you signed up, girl. Yay. Jordan <laughs> Dennis. Amy Almagure. Takara Galloway. Maggie Fletcher. Jackie Boyd. Christy Parsons. Danielle Hatfield. Stephanie. Charlotte Duncan. Ashley Weatherman. Sandy. N.D. Dryden Mason. Chelsea Brock. Carrie Spivey. Yay. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Yes, we love you. And we're going to do something a little different this week. uh, And we're going to be doing this moving forward. So we have so very much appreciated the reviews that you guys leave. And it really does help other people like find the show. But like, you know, when people look through reviews, it helps them to really see like 
maybe what's different about this show or what you like about it. Yeah, what you like about it. Um, So every week we're going to highlight a five-star review. And this week's is uh, from Erin Nicole Martin on iTunes. And it says, I love this show and here's why. I adore this show for so many reasons. One, I listen to the show when I miss my own sisters because they talk to each other the way my sisters and I talk. Two, it's refreshing to hear about true crime cases where it's not extremely depressing and monotone. I understand that all true crime cases are depressing, but they just make it easier to listen to. Three, I love that they give trigger warnings. A lot of true crime podcasts don't. I don't understand why so many people hate on them for the things they say in the beginning of every episode. They literally tell you before you listen that the show is like hanging out with friends and while the topics are serious, they're not. Also, to the people that are saying things about the ads, how do you expect them to make money? If you don't like it, you don't have to listen to it, subscribe to it. So many people have been so nasty to the girls for doing what they love and trying to make a profit off it. It's annoying and uncalled for. Needless to say, I love the show and I love the girls. This is one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Oh my gosh. so sweet. What an amazing review. We cannot thank you enough for leaving it. That was so sweet. Yes, and I think she also recently joined the Patreon. So we're just like, so glad to have you. Thank you so much. And again, you know, like letting people know what you like about the show, what might be different about it just kind of helps people understand and it kind of helps people like I don't know look at maybe some of the negative reviews and be like okay well obviously that's just not that person's cup of tea but I do Mm -hmm. like the 90s or I do like a lighter take or I do like some banter like whatever you know maybe I'll give it a shot kind of thing absolutely and we do want to say too if there's something that you feel like we could change about the podcast or something that you personally don't love about it that is maybe more uh, helpful constructive criticism send us a message yeah, it doesn't have to be a review. It could be a message because we can't we can't talk back and forth on a review. So messages right. are where it's at. Yeah, definitely. And that is killerqueenspodcast at gmail.com. You can always email us. Yes, but thank you so much. We love you guys. Yeah, we love you guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye! The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.